has been said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And that's a fine statement. We could talk about that idea quite a bit, I'm sure. But I would like to tweak it a little bit for our purposes here this morning. And I would propose to you that joy is in the eye of the beholder. Joy is a tricky emotion to nail down. There's so much these days being written about happiness. And it seems that everyone's trying to figure out just how they can be happier. If you have this income level, then you'll be happy. If you have this morning routine, then you'll be happy. If you get plenty of sleep and eat your vegetables, then you'll be happy. And yet, even though everyone has a theory about happiness, it seems to me that most of us are more miserable than ever before. We're going to be looking at a gospel passage this morning that doesn't specifically mention joy. It's not the Bible's greatest tips on how to be happy. But it is a passage that when we look at it carefully, it contains some powerful ideas about how to change our lives, how to live more fully and wholly and, yeah, more joyfully in the end. As you know, today is the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy, and so I think it's only fitting that we spend our time on this topic. We will be focusing on Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, and I've titled this sermon, A New Perspective. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. In my house growing up, there was a clear-cut favorite holiday movie. Well, that's not entirely true. You see, every member of my family probably had a clear-cut favorite holiday film, but there was one movie that we watched in my house each and every Christmas season. The movie that you could always find playing in the Pricinger household during the month of December was, of course, my dad's favorite movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Every year, my dad would spend one of his days off in December watching this 1946 holiday classic about a Bedford Falls man named George Bailey. As soon as we started hearing the holiday music on the radio, my sisters and I knew that it was only a matter of time before dad commandeered the television set for the afternoon and watched his favorite film. Once the fateful day finally arrived, I'd always watch portions of It's a Wonderful Life with my dad, but It's two and a half hours long. And so I very rarely sat through the whole thing. I'd kind of move in and out of the room doing other things at the moment. But my dad would sit there, glued to the TV, watching the entire story of George Bailey unfold. And so because of this peculiar element of my upbringing, of which there are many, I can't get through the month of December without finding myself thinking about that movie. And I'm sorry to report that once again, my mind was drawn back to George Bailey in Bedford Falls and It's a Wonderful Life while I prepared this sermon. Because what I noticed when I read the gospel passage this morning is how much George Bailey is like John the Baptist. Just in case you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life in a while, or maybe you've never seen it at all, in which case I won't tell my father. But let me offer you a brief refresher. It's a Wonderful Life tells the story of the selfless and honorable George Bailey. And one Christmas Eve, George's company encounters some severe financial trouble. 
Trouble that will likely close his company and end George up in jail. And so as George deals with this stressful situation, he contemplates suicide. And believing that everyone in his life would just be better off if he had never been born at all. But at the last moment, George is saved by his guardian angel, Clarence. And Clarence, who's got magical angel powers, as they all do, allows George to see what the world would be like if he had never been born at all. And so we see this whole story fold out of George's friends and families and what they would have been like if George had never been there. And through this experience, George discovers just how wonderful his life truly is. And it restores to him a joy and passion for living. One of the last scenes of the movie depicts George Bailey, right after his transformational moment, running through town as it snows, shouting about what a wonderful life he has. He keeps shouting, I'm alive, I'm alive, Merry Christmas. He's so overjoyed with his imperfect yet wonderful life that he can't contain his joy. And he ends up running around town shouting like a crazy man. And this, ladies and gentlemen, this is why George Bailey reminds me of John the Baptist. George Bailey can't contain his excitement, and so he goes running through town like a crazy man, shouting about how good it is to be alive. And in the same way, John the Baptist, a guy who's got a little crazy in him, he's so excited about the coming of the promised Messiah that he runs through the wilderness and through town shouting about this good news. He went around town shouting about the kingdom of God, shouting about the need to repent, shouting about the coming Messiah. Just like George Bailey, John the Baptist is a weird guy who can't contain his joyful message. And now I know, I know that some of you, some of our close readers in the bunch, might be a little bit confused at this point in time. Did Pastor just say that John was shouting out a joyful message? Because I'm pretty sure that the gospel passage began with, you brood of vipers. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You caught me. I... John does uh, come across a little bit strong at times, but I think when we dig into it a little bit, we can uncover the true joy that is present in John's message. Yes, he starts with some stark words, but for good reason. So let's look at this now, shall we? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be starting at verse 7. Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 7. To see about this John the Baptist character and his joyful, believe me, joyful message. Okay, so starting with verse 7. John said to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, stop there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fiery start, shall we say. John sounds pretty serious here, and that doesn't really sound like much of a message of joy, if that's what you're reading. Certainly not a message that's on par with George Bailey's, I'm alive, I'm alive, Merry Christmas. And here's the craziest part, too, actually. Something you might have missed. John is saying all of these things to people who came to be baptized by him. 
It's like he's upset that they figured out that they needed to change. Who told you to flee from the coming wrath, John says? Who gave away this secret? But believe it or not, this is all a part of John trying to lead these people into a life of joy and wholeness. He wants them to understand the serious nature of what he's about and what he's doing. John is preparing the people for the coming Messiah. He's guiding them to a new way of life, a new perspective on each day that they live. He doesn't want people just coming to him because it's the cool thing to do. It's the latest trend. It's what everyone's doing. Head down to John by the river and get yourself baptized. No, 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 no. He wants them to understand the seriousness of what he's doing. He wants them to embrace the whole life change that goes along with being baptized. So you've got this group of people coming to be baptized by John, and rather than welcoming them, John, yeah, he yells at them, but so they'll really understand just how important this is. This is a really weird story, I think we'd all agree up to this point, but wait, it gets even a little weirder. Because normally in the Bible, when a prophet starts yelling at a group of people, they usually just ignore him. There's a lot of evidence of this in our scriptures of prophets yelling until they're blue in the face and no one ever listens. There aren't actually that many examples of people listening to a prophet's message, but actually that's what happens here. So John yells at these people who came to be baptized and their response is, what then should we do? What a powerful, incredible response. What then should we do? The crowd essentially says to John, we get it, John. We're not quite on track. But now that we know that, help us to change. This is the message for us today, Reformation. Deep down, I think we all know that there are parts of us that aren't quite on track. Maybe there's some sort of sinful behavior that you've been trying to justify. Or maybe you realize that you've been pretty selfish and greedy lately. Or maybe you've been gossiping and talking behind someone's back rather than speaking to them face to face. Or maybe it's something else entirely. The fact of the matter is, I bet that we can all think of at least one example of a behavior or an action that just shouldn't be there. The crowds knew that something wasn't quite right with them. And so they went to John to be baptized. And John the Baptist replied with the harsh words, You brood of vipers. He said, Take this seriously. John says, You know things quite, aren't quite right, but you need to make sure that you make real changes in your life. And so we too need to have the humility that those crowds have. We too need to say, Okay, it's not quite right. What then should we do? We know what it is. We know what's not quite right. And rather than deny it, rather than ignore it, rather than pretending it's not there, we must say, what then shall we do? And now let me be honest. I know this is hard. I, I do. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to admit that things are, aren't quite the way you want them to be. It's hard to change your life. And if I'm really being honest, I kind of like my life the way it is right now, don't you, right? I like the, the little lies that I tell to make myself look better. I like making assumptions about people I don't know based on what I read from their social media posts. And in some weird way, I kind of enjoy letting my anger get the best of me from time to time. 
Long story short, I think there's a part of me that doesn't want to change. Things are good just the way they are. Don't you agree? Be honest. Don't you just wish John the Baptist would keep his mouth shut? But if that's what we choose, we will never discover the joy of truly living. John the Baptist invites us to discover the joy that is there by changing our life. But we avoid this invitation for joy because things seem comfortable right now, because we've gotten into a rhythm, because it just seems really difficult to actually change. And so I want to propose to you today, though, that it's actually not as hard as you think. Stop making excuses. Stop thinking you can't change or that you don't need to. It's actually so much simpler than you think. It shows us this in the scriptures. Because when all those people came to John and said, what then should we do? This is how John responded. When the crowds came to him and asked how to repent and believe, he told them to share with others. He said that to the crowds. And then when the tax collectors came and asked what to do, John said to them, just collect the amount that you're supposed to. And then when the soldiers came and asked what they should do, John said, don't extort people with threats and be happy with what you have. Notice that in each case, John never asked the tax collectors or the soldiers or the crowds of people to make huge seismic changes in their life. He could have told the tax collectors, quit your job. He could have told the crowds to come and live in the wilderness with him. He could have told the soldiers to turn against the evil empire they were supporting. But that's not what he did. Instead, John told each of these groups of people to simply go back to their normal lives, but to go back and to act justly in those places. Reformation, it's that simple. We all need to change our lives. We know that we do. We need to turn back towards God. Deep down, we know this in our soul. And at first, that can seem really scary and really intimidating and really daunting. But John the Baptist tells us the truth. John the Baptist tells us that repenting and preparing for the coming of the kingdom of God actually just involves going back to our normal life with a new perspective. That's it. You don't have to fast for 48 hours a day. You don't have to completely change your career or cut out all sugar and meat from your diet. Praise God. (laughs) John the Baptist makes it very clear. What must we do? Well, John says to the tax collectors and the soldiers and the crowds of people and to you and to me, he says, go back to your lives and treat people with dignity. Live and love and believe in your daily life, in your normal rhythms. We need to be people who have an eye for justice and fairness. We need to be people who don't cheat or harm others with our actions. We need to be people who care and love and treat others the way Jesus treated people. It's really that simple, church. I know that all of us haven't been getting things quite right. But the truth is, we don't need to make some sort of big drastic change. We just need to remember that the people we interact with each day and the places we inhabit each day Those are gifts from God. And God has entrusted us to live and love and believe in those places and with those people. Prepare the way of the Lord in those places by simply bringing a new mindset. Bringing a new outlook to those areas of your life. Treat people more kindly. Be more patient. Listen more carefully. Gossip less. Love more. That's how we prepare for Christ to come into the world. And here's the truly good news of all this. 
We are invited into this new way of life and this new perspective where we love God and love our neighbors. And when we live in this way, that is where we will find joy. George Bailey had this miraculous experience with his guardian angel, and it totally changed his perspective. Nothing in his life had actually changed except for George's perspective. He learned to see how wonderful his life was. He learned to see what a gift each day and each person really was for him. And he became overwhelmed with joy. And Reformation, we all can do the same. Yes, we have parts of our life that aren't what they should be. But we don't have to make huge, intense changes. We simply need to develop a new perspective. The gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to see each day as holy. Each day as blessed, each person as sacred, each human interaction as an opportunity to see the face of God in one another. What a joyful message. What a joyful invitation. Thanks be to God. Amen.